Well, good morning, everyone. It's, hello. Um, it's great to be back again this morning um, to gather together as believers um, on Sunday morning. So I've got the honor and the privilege of sharing from the word this morning with you all. Um, and I hope that you are encouraged and challenged and equipped to live lives that glorify God um, with each waking moment through this message. So shall we pray? I think that's a good way to start. So Father God, I thank you that we can gather here today, gather here today together um, to worship you, to hear from your word, to have fellowship with each other. Um, I thank you for the blessing that is church, Lord. I pray you would just use me um, to speak out the truth of your word, Lord. I pray you would um, challenge us and equip us to live lives that are for your glory, God. I pray you'd speak through me um, and that you would uh, open every heart to receive um, the truth of your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, awesome. Um, <clears throat> so, this morning, I'm going to be continuing on the series that Pastor Paul has been preaching, um, which is on running our best lap yet, um, and that is based on the vision for this year that that um, Pastor Andy shared uh, on a video message with us in January. So this series and the vision behind it uh, is based on Hebrews 12 verse 1, which says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That's Hebrews 12.1. So, so far, Pastor Paul has been sharing on not allowing things to hinder us in our walk with God, and specifically talking about unforgiveness um, and um, forgiving ourselves as well. Um, you know, still walking as though we're condemned. That can be a reality for, for us. It can be easy to do, but we know that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Um, so this morning, I'm going to use this verse again, Hebrews 12.1, as kind of a springboard into the rest of my message um, and into another thing that can uh, entangle us and hinder us. And I'm going to, you know, we're going to chat about that. So we want to run our race with endurance, with perseverance, as best we can. And um, Pastor Paul's messages on forgiveness actually flow quite nicely into what I'm going to share today. So if everyone could turn over with me to Genesis 1 verse 27. That's Genesis 1 27 should be appearing up there. It says, <coughs> so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So I'm just going to unpack this verse and we'll see how it relates um, to our verse from Hebrews on running our race with endurance and throwing off those sins which entangle us as well. Um, so this verse from Genesis is about creation, and specifically the creation of mankind. Um, Genesis 2 goes into a little bit more detail about uh, the sort of the details of the creation of Adam and Eve, first humans. But um, in this verse, it explores that God created mankind in his image. So what does it mean to be created in the image of God? Well, first of all, it means to reflect God, right? Just as an image reflects the, the the, the thing it's an image of. Right? If you have a statue, it's supposed to look like something, like somebody. Um, and in the same way, we reflect God. Uh, it, it, it means being made as rational, um, emotional, and social creatures, just as God is. Right? Um, you know, God can reason and feel emotion and interact with others. And in the same way, we have brains that can reason and understand. We feel emotion. We have relationships with other beings. Um, we're made to reflect God, to point to God as our creator. Um, we're also made with moral knowledge, um, knowing some of the differences between right and wrong. Um, that's why you can go anywhere in the world um, and find people know that murder is wrong, right? And, and have some sort of moral code. Every, you know, it might differ on some stuff, but everyone has some sort of moral basis, and that's because we're all made in the image of God. 
And so the other thing about being made in the image of God um, is that because we bear the image of this incredible supernatural being, we're incredibly valuable, right? We bear the image of our creator, right? The eternal God of the universe. And as such, we have this inherent value inside of us, right? We are inherently valuable. And that's why things like murder are wrong, right? They damage a fellow image bearer of God. They damage someone who is made in that image. Um, I suppose you could make a comparison to um, the laws about damaging currency, right? The, if you have a five-pound note or a ten-pound note, it bears the image of the queen, and when you can't damage that, it's illegal. And obviously, we're much more valuable than currency, but li- we likewise bear the image of our king, right? Our, our creator God, um, and in a much more rich and meaningful way than a, just a picture could. Um, so we have inherent and unchangeable value. Um, and if we look to James 3, verse 9... James 3, verse 9. Um, James makes the point that, um, quote, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. So James is there showing us um, the dual uses of the tongue, right? For good, praising God, or for sin, cursing humans that are made in God's likeness. And even the fact that James draws this um, comparison here just goes to show the incredible extent to which we're made in the image of God. Right? It's not like a throwaway fridge magnet quote. It's, um, it's a deep and meaningful reality. Right? It's, it's a genuine thing. We are made in the image of God. Um, so much so that James puts blessing the Lord God himself in the same sentence as cursing someone made in the image of God. Right? That's how there's a parallel there. We're, we are made in the image of God. It's not just a throwaway comment. So we all bear this image, everyone. We're, we all have worth and dignity, and we have incredible value. So understanding this verse um, then actually brings us back and helps me to explain how it relates to running the race set before us, laying aside everything that hinders. So we know that we're made in the image of God. Is everyone with me so far? Yeah? Awesome. Awesome. So being made in the image of God makes us have this inherent dignity and worth and value. But one thing that can hinder us in our race is a lack of understanding and application of that verse. Um, we can easily be consumed with things like self-hatred, right? And this is the first hindrance that I'm going to talk about today. I'm going to then look at another one which relates, and then we're going to put them together and see how they kind of come under one umbrella. But for various reasons, um, self-hatred is, un- is not uncommon. There are lots of people that struggle with self-hatred, with loathing themselves. And that's a sad reality, but it's true. And, you know, we can think that we lack certain attributes or skills that we think are useful or necessary. Uh, We might be struggling with an issue in our lives that we don't know how to deal with. We might regret decisions we've made. Um, We may feel a deep sense of guilt over past sin, right? Um, And I'm sure you can see how Pastor Paul's message there on self-forgiveness relates to that. Um, We know that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 8 verse 1. Um, But for whatever reason, we can still struggle with this kind of issues to do with self, right? We can still have a deep uh, sort of sense of self-hatred or self-loathing, and it can be a reality, right? It, it, can, it can be persistent, and it can be something people really, really struggle with. And perhaps you relate to that this morning, right? Perhaps that's really resonating with you, um, and, and people keep telling you that God loves you, but you just struggle to stop hating yourself. Um, no matter what you do, you're, you can be stuck in a pit of kind of regret or loathing of yourself, and I, but I just want to reiterate to you this morning that you are made in the image of a God who loves you, right? Um, you have worth and you have value and you have inherent dignity 
you, you, can't, you can't change it. You can't get rid of it. It's inherent. It's, it's in every cell of your body, right? You are made in the image of a God who loves you. You're fiercely loved by a good, good father, right? You matter to God and that you, you are loved so incredibly much that he sent his one and only son to die on a cross and to bear the punishment for your sin, for everything you've ever done wrong. And so through faith in that sacrifice, we can be made right with God. He loves us that much. We only need to look to scripture to see example after example of that amazing truth. Uh, Romans 5 verse 8 says, that's Romans 5 8, I think it might appear. Um, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Whilst we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. Not while we were friends with God. He didn't die for his friends. He died for his enemies, right? That's how much he loves us. That's how much he demonstrated his love for us in that whilst we were still sinners, he died for us. 1 John 4 verse 10. 1 John 4 10 says, this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, right? Not that we have loved God first, but that he first loved us and that he sent his son to die on the cross for us, to be the sacrifice that atoned for our sins. That is love. That's grace, right? That's a free gift of God. Um, So I want to put to you this morning that if you're not yet a Christian, that you can know the God that created you right? You can, you can be forgiven your sins via that atoning work of Christ, and you can know the God whose image you bear and whose likeness you are made in. You can be made into a brand new creation and born again spiritually, right? All you must do is repent and believe, right? To recognize, confess, and turn from your sin and put your faith, trust um, in Christ's finished work on that cross. That is all you need to do, and you can know the God whose image you are made in. And it doesn't matter if you've, maybe you've been in church 10 years, but you've never done that. Well, I, can, I want to put to you this morning that you can do that and you can know the God that created you. So apart from this work of Christ, we have no hope. But that's not a reason to despair. It's a reason to turn to him and to rely on his grace, right? Sin kind of marred this image of God that everyone's made in. It kind of, it's like a scar, the, the, the scar of sin, the sin nature within us. But through Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And that's true of everyone that is in Christ, it is in Christ by faith. Um, According to Colossians 3 verse 10, those that are in Christ have, quote, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So we're all made in the image of God, right? But sin kind of scarred and marred this image. Um, And there's a sense now in which the Christian is being transformed more and more into that original image. We're being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This new self is being gradually transformed more and more into the the original kind of image in which we were made. getting rid of the scar of sin. So if you're already a Christian, then you need to know and daily preach to yourself that you have been redeemed and saved by grace, right? We need to remind ourselves of this because we so easily forget, right? It's so easy to forget that, to daily forget that that is the reality, that we've been saved by grace and totally redeemed from sin. Um, our lives ought to be gospel-centered, right? And that's why we need to preach this to ourselves every single day. We're made in the image of God, loved by God, redeemed by Christ, born again spiritually, adopted into the family of God as true sons and daughters, and we are precious to our Father in heaven. The first step to overcoming self-hatred, as I say, is placing your faith in Christ. And if you haven't done that, then that's where you need to begin. Um, to enter into a relationship with the God who loves you. And now if you've already taken this step, but you still struggle with kind of viewing yourself in this way, right, in this kind of self-hatred kind of attitude or this, this loathing of self, 
then you need to realize who God is and who we are. Um, I can preach to you day in, day out um, about, about this topic, right? But you need to grasp the fact for yourself of, of who God is and who we are, what he says, and take it a hold of it by faith and make it your own, right? We've been talking in Momentum a little bit about this about uh, recently, about taking hold of the identity we have in Christ for ourselves. We need to actually grasp it by faith because you can know it all in your head, but do you know it in your heart? Do you believe it? Is it ha- have you made it your own? Is it relevant to you? Do you actually understand and put it into practice? That's what it is to grasp a hold of it by faith. Um, and the best way to do that is read scripture, right? Read your Bibles. That's the simplest way to do it. I've got, I wish, you know, I wish I could tell you some shortcut, magical way to just know it all instantly, but you have to read the Bible um, in which God has revealed himself and tells us spiritual truths. Romans 12, 2 tells us, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's how we can overcome self-hatred, right? Um, By having our mind renewed and and being transformed by that, being totally transformed through the Holy Spirit and by the word of God. You know, I don't know the struggles and the ins and outs of everyone's lives. Um, Maybe there's really deep and really serious issues, right? You know, I'd encourage you to chat to a pastor about that. Maybe chat to a professional about that if if you think you need that. Um, but I would be doing an incredible disservice if I didn't tell you that you also need your mind renewed and your heart transformed by the word of God and the Holy Spirit within you. You know, the God who took us from spiritual death to spiritual life, from over here, one way, totally dead, dead and cold and buried, to spiritual life over here, totally made brand new. The God who did that and will one day raise our bodies from the dead on the last day, right? He's more than able, that God is more than able to radically transform us and help us to overcome any lies of the enemy, right? He's able, he's done the impossible already, so why could he not do this, right? Of course he can, of course he can. So when we hate ourselves, um, as people can really struggle with, as I say, we become entangled mentally and spiritually by this wrong view of ourselves and of God. And we can be prevented from maturing spiritually or running freely in our race as God wants for us, right? Um, but throw off this entanglement, as we're encouraged in Hebrews. Let us throw off every hindrance which prevents us from running as we should, right? Um, know who God is and who he says that you are. Know that you are loved, that you're redeemed, that you're precious to God this morning, right? In Matthew 10, verse 29 to 31, um, that's Matthew 10, 29 to 31, Jesus comforts his disciples. He's speaking to them about, they're worried about going into the world and they fear getting uh, persecuted and killed. Um, And he's speaking to them in this verse and he says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows, right? And I love that verse. There's something so simple in the way that Jesus puts that. Like two two sparrows sold for a penny. It's cheap, but not, not even one of those falls to the ground outside of your father in heaven's care. He cares for you deeply. You are worth more than many sparrows, right? Than, than many vast numbers of them. You're worth more than them to God and not even one of those falls to the ground outside of his care. So how much more is he in control of your situation and your life, right? And so I just, I love that verse. Um, so yeah, you are precious to God this morning, right? That's, that's, a, that's a deep spiritual reality that we can all know. So the remedy to this self-hate is God's love. Now, 
this kind of brings us on to our second thing, which I think can hold us back. And that is that the world will try and sell you self-love as the cure to self-hate. But it actually ends up making us more miserable, right? Um, we see this kind of sloganeering everywhere right, about self-love. Uh, you see it on Instagram, on billboards, on adverts, in books, in self-help guides, right? This kind of love yourself uh, like kind of idea, slogan. And we're effectively told that if we just love ourselves enough, if we just give ourselves the kind of love that we, we think we deserve, then we'll be fulfilled and we'll be happy, right? And that we'll find this inner peace. And we see that everywhere, that kind of idea. But nowhere do we find this idea in scripture. And when we think about it, that actually really makes sense. We, our natural selves, are our own problem, right? We, we can't solve it by ourselves, by looking within and drawing on this well of kind of self-love. We, we struggle with feelings of inadequacy because we are naturally inadequate, right? We, we're insecure because we're actually not secure by ourselves. We have no solid foundation to build our lives on. Um, we feel insufficient because we're not fully self-sufficient. That, that, that's the reality. You, you can't just magic, magically conjure it up, right? We are insufficient. We are inadequate in ourselves. And we weren't designed to be fully self-sufficient. We weren't made to be self-sufficient. We weren't made to be wholly adequate by ourselves, right? Or, 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 or sort of, you know, totally secure in ourselves because we were designed to be in relationship with God, right? We were designed to be in a relationship with a God who is all-sufficient. Right? A God who is a secure foundation. A God who is more than adequate. Right? It's okay that we're not all those things. Right? We, need to, we need to not fear that. We need to just confront that reality. Right? That it's okay that we're not all those things because God is. Right? We can't do it by ourselves. We, of course we can't, right? We, nor should we try. We, can't, we know this fact in so many areas of our lives. We know that, that we could never make ourselves right with God. We know that, you know, apart from Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, if we take Jesus at his word, if we take the, the Bible as we ought to, then, of course, we, we kind of know that we're, we're not fully self-sufficient and can't rely on ourselves 100% of the time. We're not fully adequate in ourselves. So why would we think it would be different in this area, Right? So our God is more than enough. Our God is our provider, our protector, our redeemer, and our source of joy and peace and comfort. If these things flow from the Lord, as they do, then why turn to ourselves, looking deep within us, trying to find something that we can, that we can find instead in abundance in Christ, right? Why are we trying to conjure up this, this source of uh, adequacy, this source of um, joy, this source of peace from within us, looking inside, thinking, if I just love myself enough, it will just appear. That if I just, if I just you know, spend enough time on self-care, if I just, you know, if I do all these things, if I read books about how to love myself more, then it will all be fine. But it won't. It, you can never find it within yourself. You have to find it in Christ. And he is fully sufficient for you, right? His grace is sufficient. He has all of those things in abundance. Why, why look in a dry well for, some, for water? You can find when there's a river, right? There's, why, why look in, in dry cisterns for something that you can find in abundance in Christ? Um, we need to realize that, right? The solution to our problems, whether that's self-hatred, inadequacy, insufficiency, right, isn't self-love. We're offered a much better solution. God's love, the incredible love of God. So through that finished work of Christ on the cross, 
we can find a way out of this perpetual cycle of messing up, realizing our failure, trying to love ourselves, and then beginning it all again. It's a big loop, and it never fulfills, it never satisfies, it never gives you what you're looking for. We can exit this circle, and we can find complete and total peace, joy, satisfaction, fulfillment in Christ. We can find all of our adequacy, all of our sufficiency in him. He is enough. Apart from Christ, in pursuing this kind of self-love, we end up looking inward, right? We end up looking inside of ourselves, and we end up becoming uh, selfish, unhappy, uh, or focused on me, me, me all the time, right? It's all about me. Um, And it can be really easy to do that when we look inside. Of course it can, because we become so focused on ourselves. We become self-reliant when we know that we truly ought to be reliant upon our Father. Is everyone with me so far? Awesome. So this then ends up entangling us, right? We end up becoming entangled and ensnared in this. Um, It prevents us from running the race as we ought. When we become reliant on our own strength and we become reliant on ourselves to try and conjure up the answers, it hinders us. Um, You know, we become entangled in sin or in selfishness or self-dependence. But why would we want that when we have the option of freedom from this entanglement through the work of Christ? Right? That's the reality. We have total freedom from that in Christ. We can find it in him. There is a source of all of these things. And it, he has it in abundance. And he is more than able to, to share with you. Right? And he's more than willing to share with you. So why would we not want this? We aren't enough. But that's fine because he is. So maybe that's jumping out at you this morning. Um, maybe the Holy Spirit is convicting you of this kind of inward-looking self-fulfillment attempt. And if that's the case, then you know, confess to God, turn from it, and throw off this snare, right? As we're commanded in Hebrews, let's throw off every weight which ensnares us, every entanglement, every sin. Throw it off, cast it off, and find your sufficiency and adequacy in Christ, right? Find it, where, find it at the source. Um, and again, if anyone here is not yet a Christian, then I want to tell you good news, and in fact, the good news, right, that you can find all you need in Christ. Don't be deceived by the world telling you that you're enough or that you can do it by yourself, right? You won't find what you're searching for within you, but you will in Christ. We're all inadequate and imperfect, and we could never right those wrongs, but praise God that he has done what we could never do, right? To place your faith in Christ is to find wonderful treasure, more precious than silver or gold or diamond, is to find everything you need, everything we need. Right? He is enough. Come to him by faith and find forgiveness and wholeness in him. So it's been said that the phrase, Christ died for me, when properly understood, um, should do two things. Um, of course, Christ dying on the cross for us you know, does more than I could ever explain in just two points. Um, but there are two things that are particularly relevant to my message today. First, the phrase Christ died for me dispels self-hatred, right? How can we hate someone that Christ saw fit to die for, right? Um, that God made in his image, someone that God loved so much that he sent his son to die for. Christ died for me. He loved me that much. He loved me that much. And if he, if he who knew every sin that I would ever commit, every failure that I would ever stray into, everything I would ever do wrong, every mistake I would ever make, if he thought it was good to die for me, then what right do I have to hate myself, right? How, how can I hate myself and despise someone for whom Christ died? We hate our sin, yes, but we shouldn't stray into self-hatred, hatred of ourselves, because he loves us, right? God is love, and he loves you this morning. 
Christ died for me. And the second thing that the phrase does is dispels any notion of self-sufficiency or pride or self-adequacy, right? Christ died for me. He died for me because I couldn't possibly hope to right my wrongs, right? I was helpless. I could never find fulfillment or joy or make my own way to God, right? No, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God had to be slain for my sin. The Son of God himself had to take my sin upon himself to make a way for me to come to the Father. So how could I be puffed up with pride or boast in my own strength? No, I was so helpless that God sent his own Son to die for me, right? Christ died for me. So we can, you know, we can easily slip into either of these kind of mindsets. They can try and weasel our way into our minds, either self-hatred to one extreme or being too self-sufficient on the other side, right? But remind yourself that Christ died for me and let it dispel either notion of those things, of self-hate or of self-sufficiency. Remind yourself of this truth daily, right? And preach the gospel to yourself daily because we're terribly prone to straying into self-sufficiency or self-hatred. We tend to go either way. Has anyone ever ridden a bike? Like a bicycle, not a motorbike. Anyone ridden? Hands up if you've ridden a bicycle. Nice. Um, <laughs> well, I'm sure you all know then that if you ride a bike and you let go of the handlebars, you always end up drifting to one side or the other or even back and forth, right? Some people can do that thing where you kind of take your hands off and you cycle it and somehow stay up. But it always kind of goes like that, snakes, it snakes around. And, and that's because you ha they haven't issued a course correction. They haven't got the handlebars. They've let go and they end up drifting side to side or just one way and then crashing, right? And in the same way, if we don't take care to remind ourselves of the truths of the gospel, to actively make sure that we are on track, to, to do a, issue a course correction where necessary, then we are incredibly prone to, slip, to, to our mindset slipping into one of these two directions, right? So we, we have to daily submit ourselves to the Lord. It's a daily thing. We have to take a hold of that, of these truths of scripture, and daily submit ourselves to God and to ensure that our thinking is aligned with scripture, with the truth of his word, right? We have to make sure that we aren't drifting side to side or even back and forth between the two, but rather focusing on the truth, and that naturally dispels either extreme and helps us stay on track, right? It's, it's all about internalizing and realizing and, and, and relying on that truth daily, that Christ died for me, right? So let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Throw off those things which hinder, as Hebrews says, whether that's self-hatred or self-love and reliance. <clears throat> now, notice that both of these things that I've spoken about um, have one thing in common, self, right? We are naturally inclined to be obsessed and absorbed with ourselves. We can become so focused on ourselves that we forget to look outwards to others or to God, right? Both self-hatred and self-love are rooted ultimately in the same issue, self-obsession, right? W one remedy that we have that can strike at both of these problems under this umbrella of kind of self-absorption or self-obsession is to take the focus off of ourselves and to put it onto God or, and onto others around us, right? I mean, imagine if we expended the energies um, on loving God and our neighbor instead of trying to fix ourselves through self-love. Imagine the energy that we put into trying to fix ourselves. What if we put that onto God and onto loving our neighbor, right? If we spent that the same amount of energy. What if we spent the time that we normally spend dwelling on our inadequacies instead on thinking about how we can best serve our neighbor and love God, 
right? How we can best serve other children of God, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Imagine how drastically we could impact the lives of those around us, right? Imagine the good we could do in Jesus' name if we spent the time and energy that we spend on dwelling on either how to improve ourselves or how to, um, or, or all of our problems. Imagine taking the time and energy that we spend on those, putting it into the things that, that we're commanded to, right? Loving God and loving our neighbor. We could do so much. So Paul tells us in Philippians 2, 3 to 4, Philippians 2, 3 to 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So we see over and over again that Jesus himself demonstrated this incredible love for others, not looking to his own interests, but to the interests of others. He even washed his disciples' feet in an incredible display of humility. He died the death that we deserve on the cross, though he was innocent, right? In, in obedience and love for God and love for us. You know, Jesus told us in Luke 10, 27, that the greatest commandment is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the greatest commandment with everything that we are. Um, and then Jesus follows that up uh, in Mark 12, 31, partly quoting from the Old Testament. The second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself, First, love God. Put him first, right? Get your, get your priorities in the right order. Love God with all that you are. And then out of that love, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus wasn't commanding us here to love, to love ourselves, right? He wasn't telling us love yourself more, but rather that we ought to love others with that same degree of natural self-love that we all have, the natural inclination to put ourselves first, right? It, we have to replace that instead with this love that looks outward to our neighbor, and we see this illustrated really well in the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, which Jesus used to demonstrate what it means to love your neighbor in this way. Um, he was asked, you know, who is my neighbor? What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? And uh, in Luke 10, 30 to 37, you can find the story. I won't read it out. Um, it's quite long. But in this story, I'm, I'm sure lots of us know it, um, a Samaritan man who was injured by robbers, right? Someone who was kind of an uh, one of the others in, in society was injured by robbers. Um, and two men came past but ignored the man, whilst one eventually passed by that picked up the Samaritan, put him on his own donkey, and took him to an inn to be cared for, paying with his own money for that man's care. Right? And the man that showed love to the injured man acted selflessly, even giving money for, to his own money to care for the injured man. But the two men ignored the injured Samaritan. They were the ones that put their, their own interests first, right? Their problem wasn't that they didn't love themselves enough. Their problem was that they looked inwards. They were too focused on self. They put their own self-interest above the interests of others. So let's choose um, and be intentional about being selfless, right? Selfless, less of self. <laughs> As we said, our problem is self. Our problem is that we're naturally you know, full of self-hate or we're naturally full of self-love in the other camp. But let's be selfless. Let's have less of the self and more of God and more of loving our neighbors. Um, looking outwards rather than looking inwards, right? That's the key. So we've seen then that we are loved incredibly by our creator. We're made in the image of God. And through Christ's death and resurrection, we have been redeemed and brought into the family of God, right? We're truly children of God, um, truly adopted into this wonderful family, um, and we're deeply loved by our Father in heaven, deeply and truly loved. 
So let's remember these truths when self-hatred tries to burden us, right, to hinder us and entangle us, when it comes upon us and tries to freak us out and get a hold of us, right? Let's remember these truths that, that Christ died for me. I am loved. I am adopted. I am redeemed. I'm, I have value. I'm made in the image of God, right? Um, <clears throat> so, but throw that off. So throw off the idea of self-hatred. Put on, put on this new self, right, that's being renewed in the image after its creator that has been redeemed. Like, re- count yourselves in that way, right? Realize that that's the reality of the situation. And be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Rest in the truth of scripture. And we've also then seen that actually we are by ourselves and in our own strength inadequate and insufficient, right? We're not enough and we can't do it by ourselves. And that's just the way it is. But the solution to this problem isn't trying harder to be adequate or sufficient by ourselves. No, it's, it's not just increasing our love for ourselves, right? It's we are our own problem. But praise be to God that he is fully sufficient, a firm foundation and more than adequate. Um, in him we can find fullness, contentment, joy and peace. And we can stop searching in a cycle that produces only more searching and find all that we need in Christ. The solution is not self-love, but God's love. Um, We've also then seen how both of these come from the same root, being too self-focused rather than other-focused. We need to follow Christ's example of leading self-sacrificial lives and putting others' needs above our own. Hebrews 12.1, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That's my encouragement to you this morning. That's the base verse that we use to springboard, and that's my encouragement to you again. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that entangles, and run with perseverance the race marked out for you. So that kind of draws me <clears throat> to the end of my message. Um, I hope that's encouraged you and it's challenged you and that, that you go and put the word into practice, not just hearing, but, but actioning what you hear too. Um, so on that final note, I'd like to pray. So if we could all bow our heads and close our eyes, um, that would be great. And at the end, um, whilst everyone's heads are bowed and eyes closed, I'm just going to give a moment um, for anyone who wants to let me know that they want to have a further conversation about Christ or to put their faith in him, to just pop their hand up and let me know. So let's just pray. Lord, I thank you that we are incredibly and deeply loved by you, that you have redeemed us and adopted us into your family through faith in Christ, that we are all made in your image and that we have value, Lord. I thank you for your grace um, and that you, that you made us in that way, that you made us valuable and you do care for us, Lord, that we're worth more than many sparrows. Lord, I pray that you would just help us to be free of self-hatred, Lord, to, be, to rest in who we are in you, to, to truly know and understand who you have made us and who we are and who you are, Lord. I pray you'd help us to understand that and have revelation of that and take a hold of it and apply it to our lives. Lord, I also pray that you would help us to throw off any um, idea or notion of self-sufficiency or self-adequacy, Lord. Lord, help us to put <clears throat> to make you our firm foundation, Lord, and to put you first in our lives. Help us to realize that you are more than enough for us. Lord, we're not enough in ourselves, but you are enough. And I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you that we can find all we need in you. And I pray you'd help us to realize that and to come to you, um, to come to you to find all that we need, Lord. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I pray you just help us to take a hold of these truths by faith and apply them to our lives. Amen. So just while everyone's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, um, if anyone is in the, in the congregation who wants to 
chat to someone more about anything that's been said or to give their life to Christ, um, to turn from their sin and put their faith in him. Um, just a couple of seconds for you to pop your hand up and just let me know that. Okay, that's great. Cool. Thank you, everyone. Um, I'm going to hand back to Pastor Paul now.